All right, dudes, men, you got to share, you dirtbags. I'm serious, my goodness. Uh, yeah, that's about it for that. Okay. Somebody asked, how are you tired? And I know I'd probably speak for Bobby and everybody else that volunteered. I think we'd do eight services if, if we knew that people were making steps towards deciding to follow Jesus and growing deeper. So can I tell you something just from a pastoral perspective? I need to hear your stories. Because otherwise it feels like it's not worth it. Um, Bobby needs to hear those stories because there's a lot of hours. And so this is not shaming you, but just know we long to hear those. And I know you're saying, oh, but Troy, it's in public. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of New Testament church. Sorry. That's, that's the way they did it. They shared their stories because it's also great for other people to hear. So anyway, but I, I'm going to give it up to something's going on this holiday season. I there's a lot of evils in, in the Christmas season, right? We could say it's shopping, um, the expenditure of so much money and debt. Uh, we could say it's all that. So, but I've, I've discovered, I think, the root of all the evils of the Christmas season. It's cookies. <laughs> now, let me tell you why. There are these great gifts, right? Because someone put all this work and they're amazing. But then they sit on your counter and so you've cooked eggs, and it's, it's only like 8 o'clock in the morning, and you're trying to figure out, could I have one of those right now? <laughs> what goes with eggs, right? What, what chocolate goes with the eggs? And then you keep passing by, right? And you don't want to eat anymore, but you keep taking another one. One's not going to hurt, right? But then you've realized you've eaten the whole platter. <laughs> After what, a few days? Then you're saying, who gave me these cookies? <laughs> They're evil, right? It's some sort of conspiracy. So I'm sure you're in sugar coma. Uh, this morning I wanted to get just probably more practical. I know from a teaching standpoint, we had such a, uh, an amazing Christmas Eve, very emotional. Uh, usually for me, after that, I need to take a break. I have not had that necessarily yet. We've had family and lots of things going on. So 25 people at our house this morning. Um, so... I get to come back and rest here with you. Um, no, I'm teasing, but I, you know, it's like right now, this season is just so full, it's hard to find um, that space to be still. This morning, I wanted to get practical, though, and I want to kind of talk to you a little bit about some things that I'm going through that I typically go through from the Christmas day to New Year's Day. And we know in our culture, what will happen is there will be uh, tons of programming um, on the radio, on TV, magazines will come out, and it'll be what? The year in review. It may be the best songs of the year, the worst songs of the year. Uh, it could be the greatest uh, movies of the year. Whatever it is, it's going to be a review of what happened. And in some cases, it's going to be a measuring of, of what happened. And a question I want to ask you this morning is, what happened with you? Like, if we were to look at the long view of, of your journey as a, as a Christ follower, what happened with you? 
Right? You had 365 days this year, 2013. What really happened with you? It's something that I go through now. Give me some grace this morning. Um, because of my family upbringing and some of the things in my own journey, uh, whether uh, for better or worse, uh, I'm goal-driven. And for some of those very good reasons, for some very bad reasons. So, I, you know, for whatever it is, it's the mixed bag that I carry. But I, I desire to be different. And as I've been reading through this year, finishing up uh, another pass through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, uh, we'll talk about that this morning. Uh, again, I find myself just struck with so much that I could take in and begin to put into my life and to be different. And as a church, the next month, I want, we're going to have this as our running title for um, the first three weeks of January to just talk through what is the long view. So let me kind of talk about that. Have you thought about what is the destination for you as a Christian? As a follower of Jesus Christ, have you ever sat and for a moment thought about what does it look like? Because I think for a lot of Christians in our culture today, there's a short view of everything. I should be doing these things today. And there's almost a weightiness of, I don't do this enough, I don't do this enough. And there's, there's always a short view or a short view, and there's that weightiness to that short view. But what about the long view? Uh, a couple of questions for you this morning. What do you want to see changed in your life? Have you thought about that this morning as we come to the end of another year? And maybe it's hitting me a little bit more specifically because I'm going to, in the next couple months, turn 50 and now I'm only halfway done or a third of the way done. Are you guys awake this morning or like, geez? <laughs> Yeah, the sugar is going to kill me quicker, right? <laughs> but what do you want to see changed? I want to be different. Have you thought about what you want to, how you want to be different? Now, this is not an improvement seminar this morning. This is not a do better. This is not guilt this morning. None of that. But wouldn't we agree that there is a part of our Christian journey that's part of our responsibility? I mean... In the scriptures, it doesn't say, thou shalt come to Christ and sit on your couch and pray that he fixes you, right, and that you're different. See, you can't really point to God this year and say, I didn't change God. You did not do your job. There's something to this. And so in every other aspect of our culture, whether it be education, whether it be physically, uh, whether it be in your job, we know that there are disciplines and goals necessary in order for us to achieve uh, different goals, you know, different uh, long-term views of what we have in our life. How do you grow? I mean, how does that happen? Again, is it just sitting and praying and asking God to fix all the things you don't like in your life or fix the bad people in your life that you don't like, right? How... How do you grow? Or maybe the deeper question is, what does God say our goal really is? I mean, what's the goal of all this anyway? Is the goal every week just to sit on Sundays, say that you're a Christian, make sure you're not doing the unrespectable sins, right? They're the ones, we have, as a Christian culture, we typically, we deem respectable sin, 
non-respectable sin. You know, we have our lists of those I don't do, those bad things. So what is the goal? What is the real goal for us as a Christ follower? The Proverbs uh, verse that I listed on this, and we're going to be leveraging this, I'm going to use the message uh, paraphrase this morning. It's more of a paraphrase, but I loved how it was phrased. Careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. Hurry and scurry puts you farther behind. Now, it's interesting this morning because Proverbs is so uh, conflicting. In other words, Proverbs will, in one verse, say, uh, man may make the plans, but God does everything, you know? Uh, you need to surrender your plans to the Lord, all this. And then on the other verse, it'll say, you should be planning, otherwise you're going to be left behind. So there's this tension. I want to clarify a little bit this this morning. The long view, what we're talking about this morning, is to think about the effects that something will have in the future instead of in the present. In other words, do you live your life every day as if the thing I'm choosing now has impact for where I want to be in the future. I thought Jonathan's song was so appropriate. We didn't plan that that way, but that, the, the song Architecture. Can the choices that I'm making today and building in my life build something that's going to have a long view destination that's desirable? Now you can think about this in the area of choices in sin or choices in obedience this morning. And I think it, it begs us to answer the question of how do we grow and how are you growing as a Christ follower? So the long view gives us this perspective. In the ESV, or I think it's the NIV, it says it this way, the same verse. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to pro- poverty. Now this verse has been abused by Christians and it's been abused in such a way to say, well, if you're poor, you're probably not working hard enough. There's, and that's abusive. That's not the, the, that's not the context of this, this verse. This verse this morning, a couple words, um, plans. To have plans means to carefully think through something. In other words, uh, some of you uh, during church service are thinking about what the rest of the day will be like, right? You are beginning to carefully plan out whether it's meals or arrangements of certain things. It's basically thinking through my steps to get from here to there. Whether good or bad, it just means to think through. To be diligent. To be diligent has a lot of interesting meaning. In fact, the term would be like the, the, the edge of a knife. The edge of a knife, as we were sharpening knives for Christmas meals and, and doing a lot of chopping and cutting, it means that the edge needs to have a preciseness to it, and its placement is purposeful. To be diligent means to be thinking purposeful about steps and choices. And so it says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. Now, often we think in Western thinking, we think of money. This has more to do with the profit is the idea of not having want anymore. Meaning, I'm in such a place that I'm not longing for anything more. Uh, Can the planning that we have and the diligence that we have lead us to a place of being content? It says, as surely as haste, haste meaning this, second-guessing, paralyzed, uh, not moving. 
The Christian life is about transformation. Paul will say this in Romans 12. He'll say that be transformed. In other words, you have been made right with God. Now begin to live as though you are changing because you are changing. It's what he's saying. And so this morning I want to, just in a practical way, talk to you about how do we grow and change. And I want to offer some uh, some points to you, and there's going to be a word in there, and every one of them is going to say must. And so some of you who don't like to be told what to do, um, I'm not telling you this morning, but, but in my journey, I've come to discover that there are musts in the Christian journey. There are musts that, that have to be adhered to in order to see spiritual growth. I don't know, you, you can't get around those. And so I want to give you a few of those this morning. Now, I'm drawing from some insights from uh, Henry Cloud and John Townsend, their book on how people grow. A very good, powerful book on on, uh, spiritual growth and transformation. But it says one of the central meanings of to obey in the Bible is to hear. In other words, if you heard something, it was very connected and related that you would automatically do it. You, you did not separate hearing something and not doing it. In Western culture, we've come up with this way of hearing it and then saying this, I'll buy part of that, but I won't buy this part of it. And so then we we've, we've take our Bibles and we could say things like, well, I liked what was said this morning on this part, but I'm not really liking this part. He'll go on to say, hearing and doing what God says are deeply interrelated. When we hear God as he is, rather than how we want him to be, we move towards true obedience. In other words, I think often in Christian culture, we are trying to create a God that fits our convenience or our preference. That means we want to set God up in such a way that makes it easy for us to be a Christian. And can I just throw out this morning that if you're not struggling with your faith, you've probably formed a God, a form of God, uh, to fit your own needs. The scripture talks about this, that in end times, that later on, before Jesus comes back, that churches will form for themselves teachers that will, the term is called, the phrase, tickle their ears. In other words, we want people that will make us feel good about where we're at. Uh, That, as a teacher, scares me. Uh, I think I've said it before, and a couple friends of mine make sure that I don't hear this, but now, listen, if you've said this to me, don't feel bad, Um, but when I hear good message, I want you to know that isn't, that's a nice thing to say to me, and I take that as a compliment. That's not the deeper thing of what I like to hear. What I long to hear is, I don't like what was just said to me, and I'm wrestling through it. I'm, I'm growing. There's, there's a challenge here, and I'm, I'm having a hard time with it. Now, I don't mean that because I'm like, I love to see you struggle. <laughs> I think it says that there's growth. Because you see that? If every week is everybody likes it, well, like, what am I talking for? If everybody's already there, why are we talking about this? There's something refreshing hearing about the struggle, about the tension of, oh, man, you talk about forgiveness, and I 
really don't like this idea of forgiveness because I have about three people I, I don't want to forgive. And so as, as these two fellows wrote this book, there's an interesting tension that growth means that there's tension and there's struggle. And, and this is all throughout your Bible this morning. So when it says must, I don't think it's some things we can get away from this morning. So let me give you a couple. First, if you want to grow this year, because you have 365 days that I don't know about you, but I want to be different. I want to be a different dad. I failed this year in some things in being a dad. I want to be a different dad. I want to be a different husband, a different pastor, a different friend. I can go down the list. First and foremost, though, I have to know Jesus. Friends, there's no way around this. And I think often, especially in this culture in Northeast Wisconsin, the tradition has become such an, a part of culture that it, it creates a false sense of security. What do I mean by that? People think that being Christian is just doing the tradition. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in this book does it say that you get in through tradition. You get in by knowing Jesus Christ, by surrendering your life to Christ. Now, what does that mean by knowing? Knowing means I have relationship with. I had one of the fellows on the team ask me the other day. It was a great question. He said, Troy, if, if God already knows everything that's going to come and what's going to happen to me, why should I be praying? I said, that's a great question. I said, it's a great question if you view prayer as you getting your requests answered by God and it's rubbing the, the, the Aladdin lamp and getting your answers to your wishes. I said, if you view prayer, though, as a conversation and in a relationship with God, I said, so let me ask you, and this guy I knew was close to his mom, I said, if you stop talking to your mom for 30 days, what's that relationship going to be like? And he looked at me and he goes, not going to be good. Friends, knowing God is not one time making a decision. It's stepping into relationship. Put, put the illustration anywhere you want. If you stop talking to a friend for 30 days, what happens? If, if you stop talking to your spouse for 30 days, what happens? Let's, so the dialogue and the conversation with God and that wrestling with God is necessary. And so the scriptures say very clearly, Jesus says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. This is this term you hear over and over and over. John the Baptist talks about it. What does it mean? You have a spiritual birth that comes from this new relationship. In other words, you've started anew. You're, you're not in a, a, a self-help seminar with God. Do you get what I'm saying? You're not in this self-help seminar to saying, now that you're a Christian, you've got to do better. And you've got all these rules to follow, and you need to just, it's the self-help process. No, you've entered into a new relationship. It's a new birth. And this is why so much we talk about being connected with God. In other words, if, if people are just going through the, the idea of tradition, you know what they're going to hear every week as we gather and preach, or they read the Bible? More stuff to do. Ugh. Another thing to do. Another thing to feel guilt and shame for. And, and friends, the Bible was never meant 
for it to be about guilt and shame for us. Here's the second thing this morning. You must read. Now, I know, guys, you have this, you know, I've heard, seems like 80% of dudes I talk to, oh, you don't understand, I don't read, I can't concentrate, you know, I the squirrel thing, I don't know what, you know. I mean, more, I, I, I'm finally picking up on, you know, they say dogs are man's best friend. It's because that's what happens to our dog, you know, you roll the ball out, doesn't matter, boom, gone, distracted. It, I want to say this, especially to you men, you need to read the book left for us. Not only did Jesus Christ come and live on this earth and die, resurrect, pay the price for sin so that you have a relationship with God, you need to read the book. The book. Not just pick apart verses, because that can be abusive. You need to read the story. If I told any of you, hey, read this book, but just every once in a while, you know, in the morning, get up in the morning with a cup of coffee and just read a couple, verse, or a couple lines out of it. You would never understand the story. And, and friends, you've got to know the story. Now, I, I will suggest that don't do that alone. You can do that alone, but I'm saying that this is not an easy book uh, to unpack the different types of literature that are in there and, and the story and some of the, the things that go on is difficult to understand. And that's why we were called to read this and to study this in community, in groups, to dialogue through it, to work through this. I mean, you need to read the book from Genesis to Revelation. I'm about to finish up now again, another time to go through, and that's not a pat on my back. It really is to tell you is I'm still doing that. I long to do that because I'm claiming to know him. And the more I read, the more I realize of stuff that I'm going, wow, I, I didn't know that. Or the spirit begins to teach me differently through some of the texts and going, ah, oh, this gets me. This whole verse about Longview is one that I probably read a hundred times, but all of a sudden... It, I finally picked up on it. So you must read this book. We bought 2,000 Bibles. It's interesting how many were taken. Not many. Now, this is not shame and guilt on anybody, but it's interesting to me what people perceive as the beginning of their journey. Listen, I would tell you today, if you don't have a Bible, take one. If you know friends that don't have a Bible, take one. Start a book group, honestly, and begin to read this together. If you want to grow this year, I'm going to challenge you as a church body, read this book. Do not just lessen your spiritual journey to a pastor coming up once a week, giving you a little bit. Because that's not going to be enough. The scripture says this, 2 Timothy, Paul writes this to his disciple, Timothy. All scripture is God-breathed. Let's just stop for a moment. If you truly believe that this is the inspired book, why wouldn't you be reading this over? And if this is the heavenly divine words given to you, and you wonder, like, why life is stressful, why all the stuff going on, wouldn't you go to a divine source and saying, I need this? Now, again, hear me this morning. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to help you understand if you have a long view of where you want to be. 
If you want to be different 365 days from now, you've got to read. You've got to begin to read. Now, they have great things out there. They have audiobooks, you know. So, guys, you're saved. Salvation. As you're driving, you can pop them in, and, and you can listen to the Bible. That's great. I would still encourage you to pick up a Bible and read through and underline. And, and you can write in your Bibles, by the way. I want you to know that. There are no demerits in heaven for you writing in this. But you need to, to, to read it. Uversion is a, an app. It's also a website that you can go on and customize ways to read through the Bible. If you want to take the next 20 years to read through the Bible, you can do that. And it'll parse out for you how, what you need to read every day. But you've got to read it. Third thing, so you must know God, you must know him, you must read the book and the instructions he's left for us. And this is the hard one for a lot of people. You've got to obey. This was not left, this was not something God decided to write, I will write and inspire this through all these writers, through all this time, and I'm going to leave it for a discussion and debate on what should be obeyed and not obeyed. Now, this sounds really probably direct and harsh to you, but I, I want you to hear is I have to do that. And so what I find myself doing is some things I don't like. Like the first time I learned uh, at a young age about forgiveness. And it said, you forgive everyone. That you love your enemies. I'll never forget the first time I had to practice that. I didn't understand it. And can we all agree that obedience doesn't mean you understand it? How many of you heard from your parents, or you as parents have said it, and so... It comes out, um, I want you to do this, and the kid says, why? And then the answer is, because I told you to do it. Anybody yeah, either said that or heard that? Yeah. That's just that phrase, because I said. I actually think this is really interesting for us to listen to this morning. Personally, there are a lot of passages of Scripture that are to be read that way. Because I said. You don't fully understand what that means. So here's the verse uh, in one of my favorite verses, John 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, these are the most learned and most respected spiritual leaders of the time. If you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. In other words, if you're obeying the things I'm asking you to do. It literally means following every step I take and doing it. Not an option. So then you're really my disciples. And then look what it says. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. So I remember the first time I learned about forgiveness. Forgive anybody. And I had two or three people I could not stand. I hated them. As a young believer, I remember reading, I'm supposed to forgive them. I remember going to the front door of one of these people I hated. Knock, knock, knock. And when he opened the door, the shock in his face, because why would I be at his front door? Because he knew. And remember, I, I remember saying, I'm sorry, and I forgive you, and please forgive me. And I didn't understand why I had to do that. In fact, in some ways, I didn't like God, right? Why are you making me do this? I don't like this. I mean, how many of you in your journey, as whether a parent, you've gotten those, that sense of someone doesn't like being obedient? 
And all of a sudden, going through that journey, realizing and experiencing freedom. Friends, there are a lot of things in this book that's going to ask you to do it. And, and I think there's an arrogance about us in culture that we feel like we're so smart and that until we understand it or get it, we won't buy it. The Bible is this divine-inspired book that says, these are the ways I'm asking you to live. Why does he do that? Did God want to write the Bible and go, I want you to have a really bad time in life and bored? Everybody else is going to have fun. You are going to be lonely and sorry and guilty and just a boring life. No, he left those because we can experience true freedom. And don't we hurry and scurry with the things of life and trying to find our answer to happiness when God says all along, obeying me will give you a freedom that you can't find here on earth. You not only need to know God, you've got to be reading this book, but you've got to obey it. Uh, Really, sometimes I have people coming to me and asking for this brilliant answer. And I'm like, well, I think it says you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah, but you, you don't know the situation I'm in. I go, yeah, I still think it says you're, just, you're not supposed to do that. And I don't mean to be, I'm not trying to shame you or anything, but do you get what I'm saying? If we want to grow, let's go back to what we're saying. The long view is I want to be different 365 days from now. If I want to be a different husband, Trish and I, the last three or four days, have not done well together. So I know none of you experience that in your marriages, right? You just have like sugar high all the time. Uh, man, and I've, I've come to grips with some stuff that I think I've failed at as a husband. Some struggles about that and we're not even through it and trying to figure that out. And I'm thinking, I want to be different 365 days from now. So it's, it's not self-help stuff, but there's stuff in the scripture that tells me about how I need to be treating my wife and what I need to be living like. And I just need to be figuring out how can I begin that journey and being obedient to some stuff that's right there. So today, my nephew is getting married. And so there's a all the girls are doing a, a, a wedding shower, but we're supposed to give wisdom to, to my, uh, my young nephew. And so I'm thinking about just saying, well, in Ephesians 5, it says, Jesus died for the church, so you have to learn to die and then walk away. <laughs> How's that for marriage counseling? Learn to die. Yeah. Here's a cross. Carry that. Um, part of it's obedient, but even that, to learn that. I mean, I was, I was thinking the last few days, and it is hard to be obedient. It's hard to fight my own selfishness. It's, it's hard not to want to lean into sin because sin brings a temporary high, doesn't it? It's no offense again to all the cookie makers. It's, it's that cookie. Oh, it looks so good now, Right? But then it's afterwards, why did I just do that? I think we've got to think through. I'm so demonizing cookies. I'm so sorry. I, have, I love cookies, by the way. So, 
Here's one that, that hopefully gives you some encouragement this morning, and that sounds ironic. You must fail. This I want you to think about this morning because if, if you don't, then it's guilt and shame. This does not bring guilt and shame. If you are truly human and you understand your fallen nature, which means you are sinful and cannot do any right, and that only thing that makes you in right standing with God is what? Jesus himself. Then you recognize that you're not perfect. Yes! This is, this is a great gift. You must fail. And if you're not failing, you're either in denial or you're not moving or not doing anything. And then if you're not doing anything, you're failing right there, right? The reality is we must embrace our failure. We must recognize as we're trying to move toward our destination of growing, and if you're trying to grow in your marriage and you find yourself like I did, failed. It's not, woe is me, I'm such a failure. It's not this pity party. It's you get back up. Hmm. This is why I need Jesus. This is why I go to communion as often as I can and why I recognize the blood and body of Christ. This is why I so long for his grace and mercy in my life. And it allows me to get back up. All right, Father, I'm doing it again. And I'm so grateful for that gift that I want to get back up and try again. Now, hopefully my failures don't get big, right? I always pray this for my daughters. I'm like, Lord, let them do small failures, you know, and, and not really big ones. But realize I can't even manage that. And I realize that if I'm not being honest about my failure, I set myself usually up for a larger failure. What do I mean by that? The more we begin to not acknowledge our own failures, we start to stack those up because we're beginning to project something that we're not. How many of us, I'm just going to do a raise of hands. How many of us, try to project ourselves better than we really are. I do. Come on. We put on church clothes today, right? Your marriages are perfect. The holidays were great. I mean, we, we don't want to expose our failure, and this is part of our culture. And so even, I think even for Bobby to say, can you share, is there's the possibility of failure, the possibility of vulnerability, what I've recognized in my life, the more vulnerable I am about my failure, the more I can get rid of those and move away in freedom. The more I stack those up, I perpetuate a picture of what? Having it together. That damages you. It also damages me. That's a secret sin that what? Starts to stack more and more and more. And so friends, David, King David didn't fall off the cliff all of a sudden all of a sudden into adultery he started somewhere and what he was not vulnerable with his failures and they were small failures not going to war when kings usually left for that season staying in the palace walking out there checking out the gal i mean going it, this is how this unfolds for us the passage in first john that's such a beautiful one it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now listen, this does not mean that if you don't confess every sin, 
that all you do, you're in trouble. It means that God in heaven wants us in the practice of admitting our need for him. I failed, Lord, again. Men, your families need to hear you confessing your failures in front of them. They need to hear where you fall short. Otherwise, you perpetuate, and I know I'm guilty of this. I've had to do a better job at confessing because you can perpetuate perfection, this idea that it's attainable, and you can make people feel guilt and shame and paralyzed. Some of you felt that. And so for us to begin to confess this, and that leads us to this next part of it, you've got to share that with people. This journey of growth isn't supposed to be done alone. So many people begin to think that, well, reading my Bible and my spiritual journey is my private life. That is a lie. You make a personal decision for Christ, it was always lived out in public. Do you realize all sin is relational sin? It has to do with your relationship with God or others. Look at the fruits of the Spirit. How do you know if you have fruits of the Spirit? How do you know if you're patient? How do you know if you're humble? Unless you're in what? Relationship. All of this is connected for us with one another. The Bible is written for you to be in community together and to work through the Scripture and the truth. So you've got to share that journey. And that's where James knew something, the half-brother of Jesus, that we probably need to, again, remember. Not only were we to say, God, I need your forgiveness, and, and I need you, that I'm so grateful for your sacrifice. But it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. One of the things I wanted to do this year, and after reading Mark Batterson's book, The Circle Maker, this year. I'm telling you, it's transformed me prayer-wise. So I have, I have lots of circles and in, in, in prayers, and I keep praying these prayers. So when I hear about someone that confesses a failure, I say, I'm going to write that down. Not because I'm keeping track of your failures, but I want to pray for you. I, I want to I do this. And I can't tell you, all of a sudden when someone said, I'm praying for that, how's it going? Oh man, I'm seeing victory here, or I'm back on my feet on this area. I'm seeing growth. Oh, that feels so amazing to be a part of that journey with someone, to share in that journey with someone. Could you imagine a community that began to acknowledge our failures to, to be so vulnerable that it was okay for us to share a sin. Now listen, God doesn't want us to be in sin. He recognized, though, that we would never be free from what? We will never be free from our sinful ways until he returns. We have victory over sin because of Christ's death. We have we have the possibility of making a choice in another way, but we'll never be perfect. We're not Jesus, so we're going to fail. We embrace that failure, but if we were to be honest together about that sin, that's a different kind of a community, isn't it? That's not one that just dresses up really nice and pretends Christian, but it's one that's starting to seek the long view of growth. It begins to confess and be honest about that. 
That's the question I have for you this morning. Where are you heading? What, what is the journey for you to grow? How do you grow? Can I tell you this morning, if you're not, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not reading, obeying, embracing your failure and, and sharing that journey with others, I, you can't grow. These are musts in Scripture. You can't grow alone in solitude. You can't do that. You can learn about God, but your journey is going to be learned in the community together. I, I have uh, one of the... I am very goal-driven, and so um, I don't really apologize for that, but take this for what it is. But I think of things like, okay, I have 365 days. And this season I'm reflecting on how will I be different as a dad and I want to be better to my daughters. I feel like I've failed in a bunch of ways with my kids. And I, I don't want to miss the opportunity. And you can always start wherever you're at and however old your kids are. But there's some things I want to be better at with my kids, with my daughters. Uh, man, there's some failures I've had this year I've recognized with, with my wife, Trish. I want to be a better dad. I've failed our staff in some ways. I've failed you in some ways. Now, I'm not here to tell you like I'm beating myself up, but I want to be different. And what takes for me to be different is to be diving back in. And I have 365 days, and I have 12 months, and then I have 52 weeks, and I have seven days in a week, and I have 24 hours. And it gets me to the short view. What are the things I can do today that may seem painful right now, but will bear fruit 365 days from now. It's hard reading every day to get through Genesis to Revelation. But I'm so glad I did it. It's hard to keep adding more pages to a prayer journal and, and saying this is taking so much time. But boy, I like where it's feeling today because of what I put in. Friends, if we want to be different and we want to begin to grow We've got to begin to take some of that responsibility. As the guys come up and finish up, there is a song. My mom used to, I, I didn't like it back then, but she'd wake us up by singing songs. And bless my mom, she, she might be watching. Sorry, mom, but she couldn't sing. Um, you know, so the worship songs weren't so worshipful. Um, but I love her because you could see the worship coming from her heart and her love for God and for Christ. And so it was beautiful. But one of the songs I remember my mom used to sing, and do you remember it? Trust and obey, uh, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I think this season, as we're kind of turning the corner to 2014, one of the things I'd ask you to think about and pray about as you go to the communion table, because you're going to take bread, Jesus' body, cup, his blood, you don't just take that and take the gift and walk away. Some of you got gifts this season and, and a couple days ago and were amazed and felt so much gratitude that you had more love even for the person that gave it. God gave the best gift, the, the ultimate gift to you and I. And when we go to the table, that should draw us 
to trusting and obeying. There's no other way to be happy, to find spiritual growth and develop in your own life. All that comes from that trusting Christ. And friends, we're going to be a church this year that's going to be telling you, if you don't have a Bible, get one, start reading it. You don't need special Bible studies. We have them, but you've got to start reading it. We're going to be a church that's going to tell you, if you want to grow, you need to be getting in the lives of other people. You, you can't do it without that. You've got to be praying. These are the basics of transformation, not programs. We love doing programs, but that's not the long view of where we're going to be, of what God wants to achieve in us. So as you go to communion this morning, can you ask yourself maybe the question, where do you need to grow? What do you need to obey that you already know? Where do you need to trust God this morning? Some of you this morning may need to make a confession, not just to God, but to the person you're with, and, and confess. Because the scripture says that we're to do that with one another and then to begin to pray for that healing and that growth. Let's do that together. Father in heaven, again, it's a blessed thing that we have your son, Jesus, that we don't have to earn anything from him or you. God, we're just, we're given that with grace. But Father, this morning, with that grace and with that mercy come a responsibility to begin to follow you. Will you teach us to do that as a church and individually as people, Father, as we begin to grow? In Jesus' name, amen.